0: Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get fifteen percent off your first order when you use wnyc at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code wnyc at checkout for fifteen percent off.
1: Listener supported, wnyc studios.
0: Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode. Is to make you think. How did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, Adventures on the Edge of What We Think We Know. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
2: Brian Lehrer on WNYC. All right, just a few more texts on the state of the city because there are so many and they're so good, and I can't resist. Um, listener writes, regarding the administrative burden on police, nobody's debating the administrative burden placed on nurses and doctors by the medical legal framework. A listener writes, I would say the state of the city is compassion. This call-in shows how compassionate New Yorkers are. And one last one, the state of New York City is changing, always changing. Someone, some will be happy with those changes and others will not that is a constant. All right, now we turn the page. Now we'll look at the high-stakes special election taking place to replace George Santos in Congress, in which voting is already underway if you have a mail-in ballot. The in-person voting begins next Saturday, February 3rd. The district in Queens and Nassau County is very swingy, Democratic for a long time, Republican recently, Biden for president, Santos for Congress. We've been discussing the race in the local context since the candidates were chosen. Today, we'll look at it more in the national election year context of how it might be a bellwether for what crucial suburban swing district voters care about nationwide as the parties compete to not just win the presidency, but also control of Congress. The candidates are Democrat Tom Suozzi, who held the seat before Santos. And a Republican relative newcomer, Mazi Pillip, who is a member of the Nassau County Legislature. My guest for this is Abby Livingston, who writes about political campaigns in Congress for the politics and business site Puck News. We'll also talk about the presidential race a little bit with the aftershocks just starting to be felt from Trump's New Hampshire win, but Nikki Haley's defiance, surprisingly in Trump's face, staying in the race speech. And we'll even touch on the political implications of John Stewart's big announcement yesterday that he's returning to The Daily Show for this year's election cycle. Abby, thanks for coming on with us. Welcome to WNYC.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
2: You wrote, That in national politics terms, the race to replace Santos is a gift from the gods, a dry run for both parties on abortion, immigration, and candidate quality in a pure toss-up district. So how much are they looking to see literally whether abortion rights, good for the Democrats, or immigration, good for the Republicans, moves people to the polls more?
3: That is the absolute obsession of this race and what the Democratic and Republican operatives, all they want to talk about Um, about this contest. And the reason is, is because as you stated, this is such a toss-up district. So I think um, the, the, the thing to look at it is, this is a very important seat in Congress, just at a base level, because Republicans have such a tight, tight majority and the new Speaker Mike Johnson needs some breathing room. But I think beyond Uh, The actual outcome of this race This is like a a petri dish of testing messaging and television ad campaigning or advertising um in in the get out the vote effort and the the central question of this race is republicans have had a big big problem with abortion since roe versus wade was overturned and it democrats just keep outperforming uh expectations in wherever they compete on this issue but republicans say and we will find out if they're correct that they think immigration could be what is the the, 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 the magic key to, to offset these uh, the Democratic advantages on abortion.
2: Yeah, and certainly the exit polls from New Hampshire on Tuesday seemed to show that immigration, at least in that Republican primary in a relatively moderate state, so maybe it's an indicator of something, immigration was a big motivator. When they asked what people's number one issue was, 37% said the economy, that was number one. But then 30% said immigration. Next, much further down, was foreign policy at 15%. And only then came abortion with only 12% citing it as their top issue. So, so much less than the 30% that cited immigration. I'm curious how much you think the strategists in the New York race or nationally in congressional races find that important from New Hampshire or, or might change any tactics as a result of just that.
3: I think it's hard to to use that, and just because abortion is just sort of funny, at least in a lot of the polling I've seen, it doesn't register very high, and that is why uh, it, it sort of overperforms in expectations. It's sort of in the back of the mind of a lot of voters, it seems, and they may not articulate it in a exit poll or a, a, a telephone poll. So I think it's a it's still something political strategists are trying to figure out. Um, but what is so interesting about abortion this cycle is I spent a long time covering Texas politics, and we're about to go into primary season in Texas, and if you turn on the television in about two weeks, all you're going to see are anti-immigration ads in the Republican primary, and that is the number one issue House Republicans have, in Senate too, um, have run on in their own primaries. But we haven't seen immigration surface in the general election. It's been, over the years, uh, Donald Trump, it's been health care um, since Roe v. Wade overturned. It's been abortion. So this is probably the first cycle where we're really seeing this come into the foreground in the general election, e- election, as we're seeing in this special general right now.
2: Right. And in fact, immigration, as you know, has broken out as the main topic of the ad, wa- ad wars, commercial uh, wars between the two recently. I'll play one of each um, on this issue. It's the Republican Pillip on the attack and Swazi on defense. So here's a Pillip ad that makes its argument against Tom Swazi.
1: Tom Swazi rolled out the red carpet for illegal immigrants. I kicked ice
0: out of Nassau County.
1: Swazi helped create our immigration crisis.
0: I kicked ice
1: out of Nassau County. And he'll make it worse. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising.
2: And that's a tagline that various versions of that ad uh, is using, and he'll make it worse. So here's a Swazi ad that he released in response.
0: You've been hearing a lot of nonsense blaming Tom Swasey for the migrant
1: problem. Really?
0: As the left pushes to abolish ICE, here now is one of the few Democrats who voted to support this vital agency. ICE is an important government agency. They have an important job to do in this country securing our border. I support strong border security.
2: Tom Swasey will work with both parties to close illegal immigration routes, but open paths to citizenship for those who follow the rules.
1: And anything else you might hear? Is garbage.
2: I'm Tom Swazi. and I approve this message. So, Abby, we have a, a soundbite in the first ad from sometime in Swazi's past. I'm not sure exactly when, maybe when he was Nassau County executive, uh, probably not wanting ICE detaining undocumented immigrants who committed minor crimes locally. That was I kicked ICE out of Nassau County. And then a Swazi soundbite that he emphasizes in his ad. Um, we see in the visuals on that ad that he was on Fox News as a guest saying that, separating himself from other Democrats. I guess we'll only know on election night who who won that argument, but can you fact check that at all any more than able, I was able to find, like the context for the Swazi quote that Pillip uses of him saying he kicked ICE out of Nassau County?
3: Um, I, I actually offhand do not have the context, but what I can say as a uh, semi-retired or retired tv producer when it's that sharp of an edit my ears perk up um and it's it's that means it's being pulled out i will also just flag um that ad was a congressional leadership fund ad which is the super PAC involved in this race on the republican side it's aligned with house republican leadership and that PAC is the X factor right now in the advertising wars, um, because they have not spent as much money as they are capable of spending the house Democrats and their allies in the super PAC world have come in very big, very hard, very early in this race. Um, and so, uh, I I think it's going to be, I don't have a direct answer, but what I can also say is that the democratic optimism in this race is so much about this conversation we're having, which is we've been talking about Swazi. He is a known quantity in this area. He used to serve in this congressional seat. And so I think there's a very strong sense in the Democratic world that Long Island is starting to slip away from the Democratic Party. It's becoming an increasingly difficult place to run campaigns when it not that long ago was completely Democratic represented outside of Peter King's district. Um, And so, uh, so I just, this is going to be very much about Swazi. And Macy Pillip is an unknown figure. She's having to, you know, go zero to 60 very quickly in this race. And she's going to have to establish her name identification in a very expensive media market. So Swazi specifically is the source of democratic confidence in this race.
2: Right. And now that we played a Pillip ad attacking Swazi, we're going to play a Swazi ad attacking Pillip. And in the context of what you were just saying about her being a relative newcomer, here is part of how Swazi is trying to define her to the electorate. Mozzie Pillip won't answer questions about her agenda.
0: Mazi left before taking any questions. She was whisked away.
1: Philip is part of the extreme wing of the Republican Party that wants to take away your rights and benefits. They ban abortion even in New York, even in cases of rape or incest, and make massive cuts to Social Security. Banning abortion, cutting Social Security, with an agenda that extreme? It's no wonder Mazi Philip is hiding.
2: DCCC is responsible for the content of this advertising. So that ad mentioned a few things. Uh, One was abortion, also Social Security, and also Pillip not answering questions from reporters, which we'll actually get to. Uh, But on abortion, here is Mozzie Pillip in a local Fox 5 interview, answering a question about her position on abortion rights.
0: I'm religious, okay, therefore I am pro-life. However, and I wanna emphasize the however here, I'm not gonna force my own beliefs in any woman. It's not going to happen. Therefore, I'm not going to support a national abortion ban.
2: So, Abby, do you know the basis of the Swazi claim? There are many restrictive Republican bills short of an outright ban uh, that I can't find her taking a position on one way or another. But she did say in that clip that she wouldn't impose her personal views on on other women. So, So what do we know about the factuality of Swazi's claim that she would restrict abortion rights?
3: Well, that is the problem when a candidate doesn't answer questions. But what she is going through right now is what every single vulnerable House Republican candidate or incumbent is going to go through in the next uh, seven, eight, I guess, uh, nine months. Um, This issue, they are going to be asked this question every time they turn around. And so she, you know, she is dodging the question and that's what makes this so difficult. Um, But you know, I, these quick quotes can be clipped down. They can be used in the same way we heard in the anti Swazi ad. Um, you know, I, I worked many years ago for uh, Tim Russert, and his entire mentality of this sort of thing is when a candidate doesn't actually answer questions, they can't make the hard decisions. And so I think this is part of the process of becoming a better candidate. Democrats are absolutely running wild with. Um, the, uh, the allegations that she can't handle these sorts of questions. And so this is going to be the ultimate test case. This is why this race is so interesting, is how she is struggling here.
2: We continue to look at the Swazi Pillip race in both national as well as local context uh, with Abby Livingston, who writes uh, for the news site Puck, covering Congress and campaigns. And listeners, we can't take a few phone calls in here. I want you to get through some of the material that we did, including the ads, before we open the phones. But we can take a few questions and comments on this special election um, voting by mail already underway, early voting in person, February 3rd through 11th, election day itself, Tuesday, February 13th. Is anyone listening right now an undecided voter who lives in the district? We would love to hear about the deliberations inside your head. 212-433-WNYC. Or was anybody listening now a Biden voter in 2020, but a Republican Santos voter before you knew what a fraud he was in 2022? There there were a bunch of you. That's part of what makes this district interesting. Biden won there, and the Republican for Congress won there. Or anyone else, but first priority if you're in the district, 212 433 w n y c two one two four three three nine six nine two um and as as I invite undecided voters, Abby, and I don't know if we'll get any um, it, I, I I'm curious generally, if you think that there are any undecided voters left in America right now, uh, I guess the question the way some people frame it is. Are there any swing dis- are there any swing voters really, or are there really only swing districts where the bottom line is how effectively each party turns out their base do Do you have a take on that either for this district or for the swing districts nationally this year?
3: I think every year there are fewer and fewer there are still some who exist um but I think it was trending this way already, but with the entrance of Donald Trump into the American political scene, obviously things are just a thousand times more polarized than before. Um, but yet when you started that question, that was what I was going to say, that this is increasingly a situation of um, getting out the vote, Um you know, the surprises in the elections that we've seen over the last few years when we expect them to go one way or the other at every level is almost always rooted in uh, a surprise turnout in vote on one side or the other or a surprise depression in vote. So we are moving farther and farther away from persuasion versus um, getting the, the loyal faithful out to the polls.
2: Here is a pillar voter, I think, a voter, Peter and Great Neck. You're on WNYC. Peter, thank you for calling in.
1: Thank you for taking my call, Brian. Um, I voted for the Democrat in 2022. Uh, this is somebody who I actually knew for many, many years. He was an upstanding person, uh, exactly the type of moral fiber that you wanted in uh, politics.
2: So that was uh, Robert, Robert Santos, Zimmerman who lost to George Bob Santos. It. Yeah.
1: Right. And uh, both of those candidates at the time were, rel- were un. un- well, they were had never held elective office. And I think that was appealing to a lot of people that both of them hadn't held elective office. Now we have two people that are running and one is a career politician, Tom Swazi, and the other is a fresh face. I think I'm an independent voter. I have switched for Republican to vote Republican and Democrat. Personally, I think that if I had my way. I would vote for Biden for the presidency, and I would vote for the, the Republican candidate so that Biden doesn't have a rubber stamp in Congress. And you, you want to know what independence sound like? That's, that's me.
2: Does, for people who might be confused by that, and I appreciate you calling in and saying all of that, um, and think, well, if you want Biden for president, but you want a Congress who's not going to let any of his policies go through. <laughs> what What are you really for?
1: <laughs> um, I think that that a divided government tends to tackle only the big subjects. It hasn't worked out recently, but nonetheless, it's prevented from doing any huge government programs, which are, quite honestly the type of bro- programs that Biden has pushed through with a democrat congress which I'm not in favor of but I also can't vote for Trump. So what am I for? I'm for a government that only tackles the big questions and uh, for compromises forced on both parties to to move forward if they're going to move forward on anything.
2: Peter, thank you very much. Keep keep calling us. Um Abby, what kind of media, since we played those ads, and you know, I know Puck covers media a lot, uh, so much re- interesting reporting on Puck about the decline of cable and linear television in general. So what kind of media do you think matters most right now? What's the distribution mix for what kind of emphasis in this home stretch if you've been following that?
3: Yeah, this is, um, so there's, The media of doing, you know, local interviews. And this has been very local, uh, you know, with outreach from the campaigns. And then there's the advertising side. And New York is just on so many levels the most interesting place in American politics when it comes to control of the United States House this cycle. And New York has not always been in that place because uh, the lines have tended to be pretty clean and districts are pretty safe on each side. Um, But what New York does more than any other Television market in America is just completely warp the ad spending. It is so expensive to run television advertising in New York. I think at points it can be a million dollars a week if you want to go all the way in. Um, You know, since uh, because broadcast is so expensive, campaigns more and more are moving toward cable, moving toward digital. Uh, New York is often a place where direct mail is an emphasis, Um, but even as broadcast television has declined, it is still the primo place to advertise, particularly during sporting events like the NFL. Um, and on top of that, we don't have new fresh campaign finance reports yet, but it's very apparent Tom Swasey has raised more money than Maisie Pillup because he's spending on television advertising. And, uh, There's a little quirk in the law that candidates can secure lower television rates than super PACs. And so the fact that Swazi was able to get into this race a little earlier than Pillip and raise money has been an enormous advantage for
2: Democrats. Jonathan in Brooklyn, who grew up in the district, that's Northeast Queens and the North Shore of Nassau County and a few other places in Nassau. Jonathan, you're on WNYC. Hello.
0: Hi. So I live in Brooklyn, but I grew up in that district, and my mother still lives in that district. I definitely feel a connection to it. And um, what was, I was thinking when they, you know, chose Mazie Phillips to run, and you know, she's this, you know, virtual unknown outsider. But the fact that she, you know, she has an interesting biography. She was in, from Ethiopian. She immigrated to Israel. She served in the IDF. And now, with the Israel Gaza war going on, and that district, as you know, is heavily Jewish. It has a lot of wealthy Jewish people and Iranian Jews there who are probably more inclined to vote for, you know, someone who is very pro Israel, which is not to say that Swazi isn't, but the fact that she is an Israeli who served in the idea. And I just, you know, wondering if they, this was. The idea was to try to pander to those voters and Mm -hmm. think that they could pick up a lot of votes just from the the pro-Israel vote. Jonathan,
2: Um, thank you for that question. And, yeah, Swazi is making a big point of saying there's no difference between them on policy toward Israel, but he certainly can't compete with her biography, Abby, in that respect. Um, But by the same token— We have a text message here that says, I suspect they're having Pilip not speak much so that the anti-immigrant Republicans don't hear her thick accent, her Ethiopian accent. So, so there's demographics from both sides. Abby, what do you think?
3: This issue has exploded in Congress and particularly in the democratic party. And, um, This is sort of the de facto first uh, down ballot primary race, even though it's a special. The, The other primaries don't get started until early March. And so this is one of the number one things I'm watching for when we see the results. We just don't know how this is going to play. With regard to Pillip's biography and background, she is exactly the kind of candidate that now ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would recruit to run. Um, he was sort of on his way out when she was coming through. But on top of I mean, this biography is something very interesting and intriguing to republicans who have historically struggled with diversity in their party um and the caller recited it out for me and all of those things are completely accurate um so i but what i also think is sort of in the background of this race that we haven't talked about is the local parties had a lot of control over these nominations there really wasn't an open primary process and I think more than anything that local and national Republicans cared about with regard to their nominee was uh, getting away from George Santos and all of that baggage. And so my understanding was they put an absolute premium on uh, resumes that did not have any sort of embellishments whatsoever, that having a candidate who didn't have that sort of problem was the ultimate emphasis of this process.
2: Mm. And and. Another demographic piece is that Swazi is Italian and, uh, Italian-American Italian in a district that's got a lot of Italians, just as it's got a lot of Jews. And he's trying to make an issue out of the Republicans calling him the godfather of the border crisis. Swazi says godfather is an anti-Italian slur playing the, on that anti-Italian stereotype. And I, I, I'm just— curious if you have any impression as to whether that's gaining traction among Italians in the district to think, yeah, they can't go around calling an Italian-American candidate a godfather in 2024. Uh, I'm going to defend against that and vote for Swazi.
3: Clearly, it's a sensitive issue. Um, And I, I just, I am so excited about this race because of these issues. And these are these are fights that are going to. Um, I, I was on the, the phone yesterday with a Democrat who is from New Jersey, and they're watching this very closely. Closely, New Jersey has very similar demographics and different divides uh, along ethnic lines. And so, what makes this race so interesting is that that you can layer it over in other districts in America. Yeah. But on top of that, just the New York City market—if you. The, the control of the United States House is going to go through the New York City metropolitan area. And so the lessons learned on Long Island will apply to New Jersey, as I mentioned, but could also apply to the Hudson Valley or, or other regions in the New York greater area. So this is just an embarrassment of riches of things to learn after right. the
2: fact. A lot of swing districts in the New York suburbs. All right, we have three minutes left. So we're going to do two quickies. On other things, Nikki Haley, post-New Hampshire, and John Stewart, returning to The Daily Show. On the Haley campaign, you know, Abby, I used to think she was really running for 2028, raising her profile but not taking on Trump and alienating the party space. But after she came down much harder on Trump's mental competency and electability in her election night speech Tuesday night, I feel like she's actually willing to burn those bridges in pursuit of actually trying to win this year, or maybe it's something else. Do you have a quick take?
3: My quick take is I was on the same page as you. Um, What I can say going forward is this is going to be a very long South Carolina primary, and South Carolina has a history of really rough nasty Republican primaries. And the question is, does she come out of this like John McCain, more empowered in 2000 or a weakened candidate? And that is to be determined.
2: And on John Stewart, I wonder how you see the political, not just the entertainment context of his announcement that he will return to hosting The Daily Show once a week, Monday nights, through at least election day this year, is he trying to have an impact on some groups in particular, or shouldn't I look at a comedian, even John Stewart, in that way?
3: Uh, I think John Stewart's always having. Uh, trying to have an impact. And he does have impact. What I just what struck me about it was I was the core college kid watching him at his peak. And he hasn't been on the air for a long time. And TV doesn't work the same way anymore as it used to. So I you know, I I, my instinct was he's going to help get out the youth vote, but he hasn't been on TV in uh, a solid um, nine years. So we will see.
2: How does television work different than it worked nine years ago?
3: the kids aren't watching television, they're watching TikTok. So he may not have the same cultural impact on the 22 year olds that he has on the 40 year olds.
2: Right. So I guess it'll matter if people grab good John Stewart moments and spread them on social. And we exactly will, we will see Abby Livingston covers campaigns in Congress for Puck News. Abby, thank you so much.
3: Thanks so much for having me.